so it is a new year. Welcome to 2022. We began 2021 still doing virtual church. We begin 2022 together, but quite obviously impacted by what happened during the pandemic and not knowing how we're going to be impacted tomorrow or the next week. We're in a very different place than we have ever been before. This year holds a lot more uncertainties than it ever did before. Let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. What is your greatest concern as we go into 2022? Or what do you think will be your greatest challenge in this year? What is your greatest concern as you are thinking about this year? What do you anticipate will be your greatest challenge? It might be financial. You're looking at the future and you are wondering, will your finances be enough? Is there a change that is coming that's going to impact my finances? Will there be sufficiency for this year ahead? It might be a decision. Maybe you'll be making a decision about college and which major if you were like 60% of college students you will change their major after you're already there it might be concerning a job it might be relocating leaving the area where you are now those are huge decisions they impact our lives for the foreseeable future. Or it may simply be the uncertainties of the future. I don't know if we will survive as a church because many other churches have not survived. Therefore, I don't know if I will have an income as the year goes along. And for me, it's rather frightening because I don't have another marketable skill. I don't have another career. But what I do? If there's one thing that you and I have learned over the last two years, it's that the future has become exactly this, uncertain. It is not predictable anymore. Things have changed in very many ways, and they aren't going to return to what they were before. We have seen one crisis after another after another, and so it will be, because we are getting later and later in the hour before the coming of Jesus Christ and the rise of the Antichrist. The future will be very uncertain. So what do you view as your greatest concern 
or your greatest challenge in 2022. I want you to open your Bibles to the little letter written by Jude. It's right before Revelation, the last book in the Bible. So even though it is less than two pages, it's easy to find for that reason. The letter of Jude. D. Edmund Hebert, in his introduction to the non-Pauline epistles, wrote this as his opening paragraph in his commentary on Jude. This vigorous little epistle of Jude is without parallel in the New Testament for its denunciation of libertines and apostates. While displaying affection and concern for true believers, it burns with fiery indignation and vivid pronouncements of judgment upon religious sensualists. Standing as it does in our English Bibles just before the book of Revelation, it forms a fitting introduction to the concluding book of the New Testament. Look at some of the words that he uses. Denunciation. Burns with fiery indignation, vivid pronouncements of judgment. Look at some of the terms that he uses to characterize people. Libertines. Those who say, I can do what I want to do. That's my right. Apostates. Those who have turned away from the truth and the teaching that was given through the apostles. Religious sensualist, those who profess to follow Christ, to be spiritual, but they engage in things that are sensory, people who love money, people who are feeling-oriented, people who say that grace gives them the freedom to do whatever they want to do. They see no need for sanctification. They see no need for dying to self. I want you to look at Jude's letter with me, and I'm going to read it in its entirety because it's very short, just 25 verses. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about this salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. 
And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves over to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and in what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals. These are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are like wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars, for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done. In the ungodly way, and of all the harsh words, ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These men are grumblers and fault-finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. This is a graphic and powerful little letter, isn't it? 
This letter is written by Jude. And Jude identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, there are a number of Judes in the New Testament. Some have identified this little letter with Judas, who John adds for us, was not Iscariot. And attribute this, therefore, to one of the apostles. Others think that it's another Jude. But Jude identifies in him, himself in particular as the brother of James. Now, there are a number of James in the New Testament as well. But one prominent James was the brother of Jesus, who was the overseer of the church in Jerusalem. And so we believe that this letter was written by Jude, the brother of the James, who was the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. In that case, this would make Jude a half-brother of Jesus. A different father, their father would have been Joseph. But Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. They shared the same mother. Notice that Jude does not identify himself as a brother or a half-brother of Jesus. That would take away all confusion right there. Jesus had a storied relationship with his family. At times, his family thought that he was mentally ill. They criticized him during his ministry. They thought he was out of his mind and they came to take him back home where he could not cause any more trouble or harm to himself. But Paul tells us that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to James and his family came to faith in Christ, his brothers, his sisters, who had had issue with him, came to faith. But again, Jude does not identify himself in any family relationship with Jesus. Why is that? Notice how he referred to Jesus as he wrote this little letter. He says here, a servant of Jesus Christ. That was a typical reference that we see with the Apostle Paul. A servant of Jesus Christ. Elsewhere, as he writes through his letter, he says, The Lord Jesus Christ, the fullest, most solemn, and most formal reference that he could make to Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. A name that encompasses all aspects of the ministry, the character, and the work of Jesus Christ. A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. When Jesus ascended back to God, it changed the nature of every relationship that he had with people here on earth. While he was here, he was the companion of his disciples. 
They sat together, they ate together. They did work together. But when Jesus ascended back to the Father, He returned to sit at the right hand of God. He resumed the position of authority that He had with the Father before His incarnation. He returned to the place of majesty, the place of glory, the place of supremacy. At this point, Jude or James had no claim to Jesus as, this is our brother. Like everyone else, they are people who are saved by grace. And Christ has called them to lay down every other identity in order to follow Him as a servant. And so with this understanding of humility, He simply writes, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. A brother of James. Who did Jude write this letter to? It's easy to identify the letters of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, written to the church at Corinth. Romans, written to the church at Rome. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, written to the church at Thessalonica. But the general epistles, the letter of James, the two letters of Peter, are written in a more general way. That's why we call them general epistles. And Jude makes no identification as to whom he is writing. He simply begins by saying, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. When did he write it? Undoubtedly, he wrote it before the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in 70 A.D. He evidently wrote it after the Apostle Paul had died, so it would be somewhere between 67, 68, or maybe even 69 A.D. It is fitting that it's right before the last letter that was written by the Apostle John toward the end of his life in the 90s on the Isle of Patmos. Words that the church needed to take to heart when Jude wrote them, but words that the churches did not take to heart. The fact is that Jude's letter applies to all believers in all eras. It deals with a spirit that is at work in the church. It deals with the greatest challenges that confront Christians in every era, no matter when they have lived throughout history. Therefore, Jude's letter was written to all followers of Christ in response to doctrinal corruption 
That is, the teaching of Jesus Christ that was delivered by the apostles was being corrupted by false teaching. And written in response to the spiritual laxity that was occurring, prevalent among the churches. As you and I read through this letter, we listened to Jude identify some of the ways in which the teaching of the apostles had been corrupted. Now, one of the things that characterizes Jude's letter is that he quotes a number of times from 2 Peter. We saw one of those when he wrote that they, the apostles, verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. It's a quotation from Peter's second letter. As he emphasized what would be happening before the day of the Lord. Jude characterized some of the things that had corrupted the gospel that the apostles had given. For example, he said in verse 11, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. That is the prosperity gospel. The Lord Jesus himself addressed it to one of the churches in Asia. And they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion a rebellious spirit against spiritual authority and spiritual leadership. He said, these men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. In every era of the church, there has been a corruption of the truth of the gospel. And that corruption usually manifests itself in this way, that it allows me to justify something that the Word of God condemns as the outcome and the result of my sinful nature. And so Jude writes, and he says, But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. I would exhort you today to take these verses to heart, to memorize them, to write them down and post them around your house where you will see them, and to make them your focus for this year. Because I believe that our greatest challenge is not financial, it is not our security of any kind. It is not even knowing what's going to happen in the future or a life-changing decision that you and I might make. Our greatest challenge is to stay focused on Jesus Christ in the midst 
of a gospel that is corrupted and a church that has become spiritually lax. Look at the words of Jude in verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. You know this feeling. There's nothing more wonderful than talking about the wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, the greatness of the work of Jesus Christ, the freedom that He gives us, the joy, the hope, the peace that He brings to us, the assurance that we have that He hears and answers prayer. There is nothing more wonderful than to fellowship with one another around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that is what Jude wanted to do. He was setting out to do just that when he sat down to write his letter. But the Holy Spirit began to stir within him as he looked around at the churches, as he looked at what was being preached, as he looked at what people wanted to hear, as he looked at how people were living in those churches. And he felt compelled in his spirit to write this strong little letter full of denunciation, full of pronouncements of judgment, gathering from way back in eternity past, up through the history of Israel, all of these evidences that God judges those who do not stay true to the faith. And then to urge them, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Look at a few of the words that Jude uses. He uses a Greek word for the word contend as it is translated into our English language. And as you look at that word, you will recognize a root within it that's familiar to one of our English words, isn't it? It's the word agony or agonize. So rephrase that sentence that Jude has written. I felt to write and urge you to agonize. The word means to struggle for, to exert energy. You and I are in a spiritual fight for our souls and for our destiny. You and I do not get to heaven easily. The work of Jesus Christ is marvelous. The work of grace pays for the totality of our sin, and we are made righteous in Jesus Christ. But the adversary will work in every way that he possibly can to sabotage our faith and to keep us from being faithful to Jesus Christ. There is never a point when you and I can take for granted our walk with Christ. There's never a time when we can take it easy and just go on what we already know and what we have already experienced. 
I love looking at the Old Testament, especially when God brought his people out of slavery, took them through the Red Sea, and then during the time that they were in the wilderness. For everything there that took place has a representation for those of us in the New Covenant and an application to our spiritual lives. It was Moses who declared to his people that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Those same words Jesus quoted when he was tempted by Satan. How did the bread come? In the wilderness, it came every day, didn't it? Except for the Sabbath. It came every day. And what did Jesus say? What did Moses emphasize? You and I do not live by bread alone. What is the application for us from the Word of God? You and I need to be in God's Word every day. We feed our physical bodies every day. We need to be in the Word of God every day. Every day. If you and I are not in the Word of God every day, we have ceased to follow Jesus. We still might know Him, we still might believe Him, but we aren't being led by the Holy Spirit who teaches us through the Word of God, who shapes us, who builds our faith only through the Word of God. Tomorrow through Saturday, you need to be in the Word of God every day. On the Lord's Day, we come to the house of God. And together we are in the Word of God. It's a great picture from the Old Testament of how you and I need to order our lives when it comes to the Word of God. The same applies to prayer. The same applies to every other aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't take it for granted. We are in a spiritual struggle. We wrestle against principalities and powers, the Apostle Paul said. And it is a war. Either the enemy will win or you will win. If he wins, you're defeated. If you win, Jesus will say to you, you are an overcomer. I have a name for you that no one else knows. The second word that Jude uses is the word build. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. When you build something, you gather materials together, you have a plan, and you put them together in such a way that the final product is usable. Did you ever put something together and have parts left over? Did you? For some things, it doesn't matter. Boy, if you take your car to the mechanic and he does a repair and he has parts left over, you'll be in big trouble. 
This word build means to build up in spiritual advancement. What is Jude saying to us? Your life in Jesus Christ should be a continual movement forward. You should be advancing in Christ. You should be growing deeper in your understanding of the Word of God. You should be being conformed more to the image of Jesus Christ, becoming more like Jesus. You should have more fruit of the Spirit in your life. Your prayer life should be deepening. Every aspect of your walk with Jesus Christ should be one of increase, one of advancement. Build yourselves up in what? Your most holy faith. There is nothing more precious than your faith. It is what Satan wants to sabotage. The third word that we're looking at here is the word pray. It's a word that we're very familiar with. It is used frequently in the New Testament in this particular manner. Now, there's a number of words for pray. But this one means to pray. That is supplication and worship. And it means to do so earnestly from somewhere deep within you. This is not praying as you go out the door to start your day. This is doing what Jesus said, go into your closet, shut the door, and spend time with your Father. It is supplication. There is something here within you that is being poured out to God. This is not just off the top of your head. This is in David's words, with all my heart. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He said, pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray out of the life of the Spirit within you. Pray out of the power of the Spirit within you. It's easy for us to get to the place where our prayers are very routine. That's why we need to go into our closet and shut the door and spend time in the presence of the Lord. The fourth word that I want us to look at is this word keep. What did he say? Keep yourselves in God's love. This word keep means to guard and watch over protectively. To guard and watch over protectively. To keep in a condition I will notice sometimes that some of our vehicles after they have sat in the parking lot and then left after a service, there is a puddle of oil on the asphalt. You need to take care of that. And you need to know the condition of your vehicle. What's going to happen? It's going to increase where? And ultimately, 
your motor is going to fail. You and I take our vehicles into the garage for an oil change periodically. Why? Because that extends the life of the vehicle. If you don't do it, the oil gets dirty. The motor wears, and it wears out. We make sure that our tires have enough tread on them. Because when we have our family in the car, we don't want to hit the brakes on a wet pavement. That would be fatal. To keep in a condition. You and I are to keep ourselves in a certain spiritual condition. To keep custody of. Keep custody of God's love. It's an interesting term, isn't it? Keep custody of God's love. The adversary and circumstances are always at work to take custody of our hearts. Custody of our emotions. Custody of our thoughts. There are temptations. There are issues with other people. There are circumstances, there are fears. All kinds of things war against us spiritually to take custody of our hearts. Keep yourself in God's love. Our greatest challenge is to do these things. It is to contend. It is to build. It is to pray. It is to keep. Here's the bottom line for you and me. If we are not contending, we are complacent. And if we are not building, we are backsliding. If we are not contending, we are complacent. If we are not building, we are backsliding. And if that's the case, we're in a very dangerous place. If you and I are building, ah, we are secure. When the storms come, what did Jesus say? The house will stand. But if you and I are not building, when the storms come, our faith will fall. And so, my dear friends, as we begin this year, let's set our hearts, let's set our focus that we will build ourselves up in our most holy faith, that we will pray in the Holy Spirit, that we will keep ourselves in God's love as we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life. It is not only necessary it is critical. But oh, it has the greatest reward out of anything that we will ever do in this life if we do so. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would move over each of our hearts through your Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus there are all sorts of things that bombard our hearts 
You and I live in an era of unparalleled division, divisiveness. That spirit has made its way into the hearts of so many believers. We live in an age of constant criticism. We live in a time when people quickly take offense. That spirit has made its way into the hearts, the thinking, the emotions of many believers. We live in an age of such pressure, hecticness, demands. It's easy for us to be building somewhere else but not building our faith. We live in a time of such distraction. We live in a time where it's easy to be occupied with a whole lot of things. If we are occupied with all of those other things, we allow ourselves to be taken by all of those other diversions, then we're not praying. And we're not spending time so that the Holy Spirit can affect our hearts. You and I are going to need every bit of what we have built and more in the days to come. We cannot stop building. We cannot stop moving forward spiritually. We cannot cease the effort to add to our faith. We cannot skimp on prayer. We cannot make assumptions. We cannot take for granted. Beyond what you and I can appreciate, the spiritual battle has ramped up in the spiritual realms. We are getting closer and closer to the emergence of the Antichrist, to the return of Jesus Christ, to the day of the Lord. And you and I need to build. We need to pray. We need to contend. We need to keep. So, Father, I pray Pray for us today. The safest place is deep in you. The place of greatest confidence is close to you. The place of greatest victory is complete surrender and dependence upon you. The place of greatest victory and overcoming this world can only be found because we are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might through the Holy Spirit. So we pray, draw us to that place. Don't let us become spiritually lax. Don't let us entertain a self-serving, 
a self-affirming gospel. We don't want anything that is corrupted by the flesh. We don't want a word that has lost its potency because it is not the pure word of God. Father, we pray that our sword of the Spirit will not be rusty through unuse. It will not be dull because we have not taken care of it and kept it in the right condition. So, Lord, again, I ask you, bring us into that place in you. Stir up our hearts and our spirits. Motivate us. Strengthen us. Clear the obscurity from our hearts, our minds, and our focus. May our hope be set fully on the grace that will be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed. In his name we pray. 